Good morning. There's a lot of joy in the room. Do you guys just want me to cut it short? Well, no. What do you mean, yes? We're going to be here till 1230 now. That's, that's what I would tell my kids. Okay, quick, short and sweet. All right. We are going to be in Jonah chapter 1 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jonah chapter 1. Happy Palm Sunday, by the way. There was a Kansas farmer named Bob who had two sons, Jim and Steve. And Jim and Steve were good old boys, great sons, but they were not known for going to church or being interested in the ways of God. Those kind of good guys. Well, one day a storm came through and hit Jim's house and nearly killed him. It destroyed his house and barns and most of his crops. The following Sunday, Bob came to church with his son, Jim, and after the service, asked the preacher to pray over Jim. Oh, you could just imagine what that preacher was thinking. Jim ain't ever in church, and now they want me to pray to bless him. Okay. So Bob and his son, Jim, comes up to the preacher after service. Would you pray over Jim? But... Bob surprised the preacher and said, I want to pray first. So Bob began his prayer, you know, Dad, Bob. Lord, I thank you that my son Jim is in church today. I've been inviting him for many years, and there's been nothing we could do or say to get him to darken these doors all this time. But then you sent that storm, and now Jim's had a change of heart. So I pray, Almighty Lord, would you send an even bigger storm to his brother Steve's house? <laughs> and an even bigger storm to my neighbor to the south who mocks your name. If a storm is the only thing that will get their attention, Lord, send bigger and stronger storms. Amen. The preacher was stunned. He couldn't even pray. He just lifted up his head and looked at Bob and said, Bob? Have you ever considered joining the ministry? <laughs> you know, sometimes God brings extreme hardships in our lives to get our attention. I know some of you have experienced that before. Something that you would almost call a tragedy, and yet in that experience, you knew that God was drawing you close to him wanting to have a deeper relationship with you. And even for those that do listen to him, there's many of you, you love the Lord, you're listening to him, you want him. You have experienced really trying times, difficult seasons, where you felt, can it get any worse than this? You know, the scripture tells us that even in our worst seasons, God not only accomplishes his own purposes, but he draws us closer to him and makes us better in the end. And you know, all that is present in the story of Jonah the prophet. Do you know the story of Jonah the prophet? I know many of you have heard it. How many of you have seen the VeggieTales movie of Jonah? Right? Okay, that's going to ruin this sermon. I'm just telling you right now. Okay, that VeggieTales is great. But you've heard the, and by the way, that movie, 
best choir performance of all times. That's their best choir performance. In the belly of the fish, if you've seen that, you know what I'm talking about. Best, best choir performance in all the Veggie Tales. But you, you likely have heard or read the story of Jonah. This prophet of the Old Testament, this minor prophet that God calls up. God wants him to go preach to this pagan nation. And it doesn't turn out like you'd think. From the very beginning, from the first few sentences of the story, it, uh, it starts going downhill. Jonah's a, a short book. It's a short prophecy, you could say. It's only 48 verses, four chapters long, less than 1,300 or just a little over 1,300 words. There are some chapters in the Gospels, like in Matthew or Luke, that are longer than 48 verses. It's a pretty short prophecy. But what is Jonah all about? What is the story about? Is it, you know, is it just some fish tale? Well, what's the story of Jonah about? Well, it's not just a fish tale. It's a great story, a true story, a historical story of God demonstrating his love, not just for one nation, but for all nations. Look with me at Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. That's how it begins. The word of the Lord comes to a prophet named Jonah. And this prophet has obviously been a prophet for some time because he's not surprised at the word of the Lord coming to him. He recognizes that this is is God speaking to him. So this is a prophet in the Old Testament. And this isn't a made-up story. You know, we learn about Jonah, son of Amittai, in 2 Kings chapter 14. In 2 Kings 14 verse 25, it says, He, or Jeroboam II, restored Israel's border from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word the Lord, the God of Israel, had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, from Gath, Hefer. So in 2 Kings 14, we actually get a little bit of a background, almost a genealogy of Jonah, the son of Amittai. In 2 Kings 14, this is written uh, about the time of Jeroboam II. That's what it's relating to. That's what it's been written about. And we know that Jeroboam II's reign is from 782 to 753 BC. So Jonah prophesied right before this reign... Right before Jeroboam II, you read about Jeroboam I in verses 23 to 24. I just don't want to give you all the details. So Jonah prophesied sometime before 782 B.C. is the point. Uh, So we know he's a real character. He's described as a real man. Uh, Josephus wrote about Jonah. He wrote about Jonah being a real man. It's a historical book. If you know Josephus, he was the Jewish historian from the first century that wrote, um, wrote a bunch. He, he was a writer. I love his first name, Flavius. Just to mess with seminary students, because I know it's not pronounced this way, I say, oh, I love Flavius, because it just reminds me of flavor, like Flavius Josephus. He was, he's a famous historian. And so jo- Jonah is a real man. He's a real prophet, and he's preaching to a real people, a real nation. It's not fiction. It's not an allegory. You know, some people wonder, is, is Jonah an allegorical story? Because 
There's some pretty amazing events in Jonah. There's a number of miracles that happen in the story of Jonah. But no, it tells us that Jonah was a man from Gath Heifer. If you know Gath Heifer on the map, this is a town just two miles north of Nazareth in Galilee. He, he was born not far from where Jesus was raised. And he was called by God to preach to a pagan nation, the Assyrian Empire. And man, if you know your history, the Assyrians were brutal. These guys were mean. They were the terrorists of the day. Look, look in verse uh, chapter 2, or look at chapter 1, verse 2. He says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians were known for their brutality, their violence. Uh, also interesting, I don't think coincidental, but I think it's historical. There's a connection here. Do you know where uh, modern-day Nineveh would be today? In Mosul, Iraq, where the headquarters of I ISIS was. So this, this is a place and this is a people that have for thousands of years now been antagonistic against the Jews. And it's been that way for a very, very, very long time. Nineveh was founded by Nimrod. He was the great-grandson of Noah. You read about him in Genesis. And this town developed far from the people of God. It wasn't in the fold of Abraham and, and Abraham's promises. And so God calls him. He says, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. To give you a little idea of the evil that is mentioned here that the people in this day would know, uh, the Assyrians were so brutal in their attack, what they would do is they would capture uh, men, women, and children. They would fillet them alive in front of the neighboring towns, and they would put heaps of people that were no longer living in piles outside of their gates so that they would uh, strike fear into the hearts of their neighbors. They were the terrorists of the day. They were very evil, according to the Jews, because of how they treated uh, their neighbors. And so God says, I want you to get up and go to them. Then verse 3, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that Jonah heard the news and decided, uh, no, right? You, a prophet is a man who God calls to speak on his behalf. So a prophet speaks God's word to the people in the Old Testament. But apparently Jonah, I guess he wanted to be a non-prophet. Anyway, sorry. He wanted, sorry, that's super cheesy. Anyway, he didn't want to be a prophet. And it shouldn't surprise us, and you know what? We, we would likely be tempted with the same temptation because imagine if during World War II, right at the heart of the war, if God called one of the Jews and said, I want you to go and I want you to go to Germany. And I want you to preach to Hitler and the Nazis. And if they repent, I'll save them. You know, you would, uh, could you imagine God calling someone to do that? That is a similar situation, a cultural situation of the Assyrians have been rising in power and they're terrorists. Uh, this is around, this is before 782 BC. If you know your uh, Israelite history, what happens in 722 BC, just a couple generations later? 
the Assyrians come and take over the northern kingdom. And so anybody that's watching the news at this time knows that this empire that's growing rapidly through brutal force is eventually coming for the Jews. They know that they're next. And God says, get up. I want you to go preach to them. I want you to tell them my message. And this really gets us to the first lesson of the story of Jonah. There's many lessons, so many lessons just in chapter 1. But the first lesson we'll look at is our rebellion begins with disregarding God's word. When you look at Jonah and what he did, you know, in, in verse 2, the first Hebrew word is get up or rise. Verse 3, the first Hebrew word is get up or arise, except it's getting up in the wrong direction. So God calls Jonah, I want you to get up. And then verse 3, it's very clear. And Jonah does get up, but he heads, uh, he heads in the wrong direction. He rebels against God, and all rebellion begins with disregarding God's word. From Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, from Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and 3, you see God creating everything, making man and woman, and it was rebellion, disregarding God's word, that turned man away from God. And so, verse 3, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. So, Gath Heifer, where he's from, is about two miles north of Nazareth. If you look at the Galilean, we call the Galilean, the, the Sea of Galilee, it's really a lake, Lake Gennesaret. So, you look at this lake, well, he's just northwest of that. He has to travel 67 miles travel all the way to Joppa. Joppa is right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So if you know anything about the Israel map, Joppa's right there on the coast. He has to travel a couple of days from Gath Heifer all the way down to Joppa because he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is about roughly 600 miles east. It's, a rough, it's about 600 miles east of Joppa. He decides, I'm going to go to Joppa, and then he gets a ship ticket to go to Tarshish. Uh, Tarshish, uh, that's where, that's in Spain, modern-day Spain. That's also, I, I don't know the connection, that's where Paul, when we say Paul of Tarsus, he's from Tarshish. That's the same place. And so Jonah decides, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I want to go in the complete opposite direction. Instead of going 600 miles this way, I'm going 2,200 miles to the west. Instead of going east, I'm going west. And... Uh, Jonah goes down to Joppa, uses that term, he goes down, he goes down. And uh, you know what's interesting? Why would Jonah think that he can flee the presence of the Lord? Where can you go to not be in the presence of the Lord? Where can you go? You can't go anywhere, right? And he should know this. Just a couple of hundred years before this, King David, who wrote, uh, I think, 73 of the 150 Psalms, King David wrote Psalm 139, and in Psalm 139, you read the words, where can we go to, to hide from your spirit? There's, there's nowhere. If I go here, you're there. If I go up there, you're there. Anywhere I go, whether the grave or to the ends of the earth, you are there. God is present everywhere. Why would Jonah think, I'm going to run away from God? Man, have you ever run away, run away from God? Have you ever tried to run away from God? It, it reminds me of, uh, of the little kid, the five-year-old kid that gets upset that he can't have extra dessert. And he grabs his bag and he starts marching toward the door and mom's like, hey, you know, where, where are you going, little buddy? I'm running away. 
He opens the door. He slams it shut. I'm running away, but he can't cross the street, so he just walks around the block, you know. <laughs> you, you cannot run away from God, but that's what rebellion is, and that's what disregarding God's word does. It blinds us to reality, blinds us to the truth. When we don't want to listen to God's word, his command to get up and go here, when we don't want to follow God's directions, immediately we're blinded and we don't even understand reality. Of of course, Jonah knew that he couldn't run away from God. He knew the Psalms, and you see that in in, uh, Jonah chapter 2. He quotes some of the Psalms in his prayer. So he knows the Psalms, but he tries to run away from God because he was blinded. He couldn't see reality, couldn't see truth, and that's what rebellion does. It also says that he paid the fare. In verse 3, he, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, farthest point he could go. He paid the fare. Now, I'm convinced that every word in the Bible is significant. The conjunctions, the ands, the buts, the whole thing. I think every word is inspired by God. Why did God tell us that he paid the fare? I mean, read Jonah chapters 1 through 4. There's a ton of details you do not know. We, we don't know. There's so many things, you can, so many questions you can ask. I've, I've asked, I still have more questions about it. There's so many things we don't know, but it tells us that he paid the fare. Well, I don't know exactly why, but I can tell you where I, what it makes me think of. Did Jonah ever get to Tarshish? No. Do you know in our rebellion when we don't want to listen to God, we have to pay the fee. We just put the burden on our own shoulders and we end up paying and we don't even get where we want to go. Have you ever done that? You decided, I'm not going to go God's way with it, whether it's anything, you, you name it, anything that God is impressing on your heart to do, any direction that you read in the Bible, whether it deals with morality, sexuality, money, church, uh, love, forgiveness, bitterness, the whole deal. Anytime you decide, I'm not going to do it God's way, I'm going to do it my way, you know who ends up paying the full price? You. When we rebel against God, when we disregard his word, we end up paying the full cost. He paid the fare. There's a old-timey preacher. I used to love his sermon. I mean, I still love his sermons. Uh, his name was Dr. Adrian Rogers. Just a mighty preacher, full spirit, humble guy, could articulate stories in ways that I only wish I could. He's so brilliant. He said this, talking about rebellion when we disregard God's word. Sin takes us farther than we want to go, keeps us longer than we want to stay, and costs us more than we want to pay. Man, that's true. Sin takes us farther than we want to go, keeps us longer than we want to stay, and costs us more than we want to pay. We're seeing that in Jonah's story right now. He paid the fare. And where did he get that money? Where do prophets get their money? Did he have land that he farmed and owned and was able to make a profit, a nonprofit profit? No. That was God's money. That was money he received for the station God gave him in life. He was using God's own money to run away from God, which really highlights God's mercy throughout the story. God didn't just have mercy on the Ninevites. He had mercy on Jonah. Our rebellion costs us more than we want to pay. 
our first step toward rock bottom, which we see Jonah going toward. Our first step toward rock bottom is going in the opposite direction as God's word. When we disregard God's word, that's where we're headed. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 10, it writes, it reads, there is severe punishment for one who abandons the way. The way is God's way. One who hates a rebuke will die. There's severe punishment for one who abandons the way. And Jonah, we see this in Jonah's story. And that's what Jonah brings upon himself, severe punishment. You see Jonah's life getting more miserable and more dire every sentence because he's running away from God. But it's not just for him. When we disregard God's word, we don't just bring consequences upon ourselves, we also bring consequences on, the, on others. Our rebellion creates turmoil for others. And you can give a thousand illustrations for this, point two on the screen. Our rebellion creates turmoil for others. You can use uh, husbands and fathers. When we rebel against God, it not just affects us, it affects our wives, it affects our children, our, our, our neighbors, it affects our neighbors, our coworkers, it affects them, our friends. Whenever we are walking away from the Lord, it affects the people around us, and you see that in Jonah's story. So he goes down to Joppa, then he goes down into the ship, and then verse four, they're out on the sea, but the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship, the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid. This is the first time fear is used in the story, but not the last time. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God, So these sailors are pagan sailors. This tells us that they were not believers in Yahweh. They didn't believe in Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't believe in the one true God. They had many gods. The whole world was pluralistic in this way. Everyone had multiple gods. And a lot of times you had gods for certain geographical locations. You had had gods for uh, different, uh, different elements in the world. People had many different gods, and these pagan sailors were no different. So this storm comes across, and and remember, this is their job. They are sailors. This is what they do for a living. They've been on the ocean or on the sea many times. And it says such a great storm happened that they were actually afraid. And each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. So the reason why they would do this is if there was high waves out on the sea, You don't want the waves coming up over the side of the boat. Well, if your boat is heavy, it sinks down lower into the water. And so what sailors would want to do is we got to get this stuff out of the boat so that our boat is just a little bit higher. The waves can't get in as much because you don't want to take on water. You want that water to get out of there. And so they were trying to save their lives throwing over cargo. And cargo they would throw over would be like food, uh, non-essential items. Well, you know, if you throw food out in the ocean, you're going to attract some fish, maybe a great fish. I don't know, but we'll see. So, so they're throwing stuff outside of the boat. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down, that word for going down again is used, to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. You know, ever since verse 3, it says Jonah goes down to Joppa. And then Jonah goes down into the boat. And here you see him at the belly of the boat. The, the Hebrew uh, word for, for going down is yarad. 
And it keeps using the word over and over, yarad, yarad, yarad. And then in this, the word for fall asleep sounds just like yarad. So the Hebrews hearing this story, when you read it in Hebrew, when you hear it, all you're imagining is Jonah going down, 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 down. That's the imagery. And it's not just metaphor, it's not just literal, it's metaphorical. He is literally going down and in his rebellion is just going down metaphorically. And so he falls into a deep sleep. He has no energy. He has no purpose. He's not doing his job. He's not doing what he's designed to do. He's not following his God. Have you ever seen a man that was outside of God's purpose, not following him, not doing what he's supposed to do? What is that man like? Like a stump, just a bump on a log. No life, no happiness, no nothing. That's Jonah. He is empty because he's disregarding God's direction. And he just falls asleep. He's got nothing else to give. He's just asleep. Well, verse 6, the captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? I can't, I mean, we've been toiling. Imagine there's a storm brewing. There's rain and there's waves and there's all this rocking and everybody trying to save their lives is throwing over stuff outside of the boat and they're working hard and, and the captain's like, dude, what are you doing down here sleeping? Why don't you, or get up, call to your God. There's that term, get up again. Get up. Everybody's been telling Jonah to get up. God tells him to get up. Now you have this pagan captain of a ship saying, get up. God is constantly speaking to his prophet saying, what are you doing? I'm calling you to this mission. I'm calling you to a mission. You have a mission. You have a ministry. You have a message. You have a message from God to go tell the people that I'm telling you to go tell. What are you doing? Get out of your seat. Get up. That's the impact. And then he says, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. They know, these pagan sailors know, this is supernatural. And unless a supernatural being steps in, we are going to drown and die. Call out to your God. Maybe we won't die. Maybe there's something uh, that you need to do. So verse 7, come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. Now, this always confused me. Uh, you know, I just imagine if I'm out there, I'm soaking wet, there's rain, it's stormy, it's probably lightning, it's a little fearful. I'm about to die. I think I'm going to drown. There's waves coming up over the side. And all of a sudden, one of the guys is like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who wants to play Farkle? <laughs> I got these die. You know, I just, I just like cast lots. Like, what are you doing? Why are you? Well, if you understand their philosophy, their worldview, what they think is, unless some God intervenes, we're dead. So let's cast lots and find out who's the problem. Why? Likely they've been arguing with each other. I didn't do anything. You know, I didn't, I don't know. I, no, I'm good. No, we're, we're doing fine back home. Like, I'm sure they were all like, I don't know why this is happening. And they're like, well, this is it. We're casting lots. We're going to see, we're going to let this God tell us who is at fault here. Why is this happening? Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots. And don't you know it? The lot singled out Jonah. And there's a proverb that says, uh, the, lap, the, the die is thrown in the lap, but the Lord determines... Um, the outcome. God uses these pagan sailors and their 
pagan way of trying to figure out what God's doing, he even uses that to get Jonah's attention. He singles out Jonah. And then they said to him, verse 8, Tell us, who is to blame for this trouble we're in? What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? So they're having an interview with Jonah. And they're like, the lot fell on you. Who are you, dude? What? You, what did you do? What's your job? Where did you come from? Where were you born? Something you did and a God where you're from is causing us great distress. We're going to die. Verse 9, Jonah answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what have you done? So this is, you got to imagine being in their shoes. Who are you? What did you do? Well, I'm a Hebrew. You've probably heard about the God of the Hebrews. I know reputation has gotten around. This is the great God that helped us conquer the golden age during David and uh, Saul, Solomon. We're not far behind this timeline. This is like 100 years uh, after that. And so this isn't very far away. I'm, I'm the guy that God, and he's the God who created the sea. Well, great, dude. You made the guy who created the sea mad? What's wrong with you? Why did you do this? So they get upset. And the men knew that he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So at some point he tells them, God gave me a message to tell these pagan, this pagan nation uh, the truth, that they need to repent or else they're going to die. So they hear the message that was meant for the Ninevites because he tells them, this is why I'm running. So, verse 11. So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? What do we have to do? What's the protocol here? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. In one way, you almost want to be like, thanks for being honest, Jonah. But if you pay attention to his answer, what's his answer? It's not, listen, you guys, I've been rebelling against my God. This is my fault. These consequences really should be on me. I've brought you into this. My rebellion has caused you turmoil. Turn the ship around. I'm sorry. I'm going to go back. I'm going to do what God told me to do. No, this pathetic pouting prophet said, just kill me. Just throw me over. Just murder me. If you murder me, God's, God's not really upset with you. He's really upset with me. I'm the one that's rebelling against him. So Jonah, Jonas tells them the reason. He tells them, he just, instead of wanting to do what's right, he'd just rather die. You know, some people in their rebellion, when they're not wanting to regard God's word, they would rather die than follow him. Now, you might be thinking, no way. But it's true. And, and that human nature of rebellion is in all of us. I would rather die than do what he's telling me to do. That's how low Jonah has gotten in his rebellion. You know, when we're headed in the wrong direction, instead of repenting, which would change the whole situation, if Jonah were to repent, that would change this entire situation. We see that in chapter 2. If he would just repent, it would be different. But instead, he just wanted to give up. And I just want to encourage you, 
one, to know the story of Jonah, but for some of you that may really be in a similar situation, don't give up. If you think, if I just quit, I just can't make it. I just can't do it. I'd just rather quit. Please don't quit. God wants you to follow him. The devil's the one that wants you to think you just have to give up. And that's where Jonah is. Verse 13, though, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. These pagan men who did not even believe in Jonah's God, didn't even believe in the one true God, they didn't want to murder Jonah. They tried their best to get back to land. And you see here a contrast between these, these pagan sailors and this pouting prophet. This, this great contrast... Jonah didn't want to do what God wanted to do. They tried their best to get where they thought God wanted them to be. But they couldn't. Why? Because the sea was raging against them more and more. God wouldn't relent because Jonah wouldn't repent. And that's a timeless principle. God loves you too much to relent from the turmoil that the discipline he puts you through when you're rebelling against him. He will not relent because you will not repent. And that's an act of love. God loves Jonah. He doesn't just want to make it okay and send Jonah to Tarshish. He wants Jonah to go to Nineveh. That is his plan, is to save the people. And the heart of these sailors was to get him back to dry land. They didn't want to kill him. In our rebellion against God, we create storms for others, and that's obvious in this story. And the third principle, the, the third lesson is, is great, it's good news. Our rebellion can't stop God's plan. What is wonderful in Jonah's story is our rebellion or Jonah's rebellion cannot stop what God intended to do. Look at verse 14. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Notice how these sailors are responding to Jonah's message that was meant for the Ninevites. They then call out to God, cry out to God, and not just a God like Elohim. This is Yahweh God. They, they name him. They know who the real God is. Don't let us perish and don't charge us. They know that they will die if they're charged as guilty. They understand the wages of sin is death. They get that message from Jonah. They didn't know God like this until Jonah explained this to them. And so they said, don't let us perish and don't charge us of innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you please. Just as you please, you are sovereign. You are in control. So look at the turnaround, the repentance of these sailors, the pagan sailors. Verse 15, then they picked up Jonah Right, this is the first time Jonah goes from down, down, down to finally up. Not his best moment, but he gets picked up and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Kind of reminds you of Jesus on the waters when he says, peace, be still. He tells the, the sea to calm down, and it does immediately. The men were seized by great fear of Yahweh, fear of the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You know what verse 16 tells us? They became believers. Amen. This is what it takes to be a believer. 
you place your faith, you fear God for who he truly is, you believe in him, you make sacrifices, you vow to the Lord, you give yourself to the Lord. They're putting their faith in this God. You know what's amazing to me? Everyone knows that the story of Jonah is about God wanting to reach the Ninevites. These sailors weren't Ninevites. Even in Jonah's rebellion, even in his act of denying God and I don't want to go where you're telling me to go, God uses that to save these pagan sailors who before had many gods and now have made sacrifices and vows to the one true God. They become believers in his rebellion. So God uses Jonah's rebellion to save. Not only in chapter 3 we, we read about him saving the Ninevites, which is the greatest revival ever recorded in history, but he saves these sailors. And then verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It ends with the Lord appointed. That word for appointed doesn't just mean the Lord sent. This means the Lord designated this great fish. Now, people have theorized what huge great fish this is. You know, is it a sperm whale? Is it this, sounds like a dinosaur name, uh, type animal in the sea? What kind of fish is it? It doesn't matter what kind of fish it is. All we know is it was a real fish. And when did God have to appoint this fish? Does God appoint, did God wait to appoint this fish until Jonah uh, said, no, I'm going to Tarshish? Right, how many days ago was that? We don't know how many days they were on the sea, but it's about a two-day journey from Gath Hefer to Joppa, and then they get in the boat, then they go out to sea. So it's likely, what, three days in? Did God wait? Did, did God only appoint this great fish three days before this? No. From Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God created and designated a fish. I want you to be able to swallow this man. Now, I just went, I just went fishing uh, a week ago, and you know, when men catch fish, it's pretty cool. But when a fish catches a man, that's pretty impressive. And we don't hear about this very often. I know in the 1800s, there was a, a sperm whale basically that ate a man and these whalers got, I think his last name was Bartley. And, and they finally caught the whale. And if you know how the whalers would do, they, they cut him open, they, they, you know, they get all the stuff out and they open his stomach and they found the man in there bleached and looking all crazy, but he was alive. They found him in the, the stomach. Uh, it was written in the Princeton Theological Review back in the day. Anyway, that doesn't happen very often, though. That's not a very common thing. That means that God, in his mercy and grace, created and designed a fish because he wanted to save people. He wanted to save the sailors. He wanted to save the Ninevites. God can use our rebellion or rock bottom for good. God wants to use even the worst scenarios to save, and that's what we get to do every day of our lives. The reason why God has not brought you home in heaven, which some of you are like me, you're just ready to go, you just can't wait to be there with him. The reason why you're still here is because God has called you According to Ephesians chapter 4, you were called. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you are his ambassadors. You are his witnesses to tell people who he is. 
You have a message and you have a message to tell people. God wants you to tell others. And uh, the question is, are you disregarding that message? Are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you sharing that message? Are you doing, are you on the mission that God has called every single one of his people to be on? Because we get to do that together as a church. Not just during Easter week, which is so fun. We get to invite people to Easter programs and all that. It's, it's so much fun. Uh, we also get to do the Big Serve, which is two weeks from today, April 16th. We're gonna have this Big Serve day. We only have one service, 9 a.m., not the 1045. We just have one service on April 16th. We get to go out and make a difference into our community. That is the mission that we are on together is to be Jesus' hands and feet here where he's called us to be. Jonah didn't want to do that. Now, God still accomplished his purposes, but it would have been a lot easier for Jonah had he said, okay, I'll go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jonah's story, how honest uh, Jonah was to write this down, to share the reality of his situation, his bigotry, his... uh, his rebellion, his disdain for the Ninevites. Would you please teach us, help us to understand in a greater way your mission and your desire for us as a church to bring your message to a lost and dying world. Would you use us to share the truth with people that no matter how horrible they may seem to us, you love them and you desire to save them. Would you Would you make that clear in our hearts and minds? Thank you for saving us. Thank you for calling us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.